Here is episode 170. Hormones, hormones, or as my mum calls them, hormones. <laughs> They're a little bit different for women than they are for men, and well, that's just reality. No matter who tells you what about diet and nutrition, if they're not saying to you why it needs to be different for you as a woman compared to men, then run away. You are not a little man, and most nutrition data is collected on men. Not to mention, in almost all cases, the the methodology of research around nutrition is a little bit shaky. So if you want to learn about why intermittent fasting is different for you as a woman and how it pertains to your hormones, reproductive cycle, your period, and then going on to perimenopause and menopause, then this is the part two episode that you've been waiting for. Oh, and at the end, I'm going to share with you a perspective that I think is incredibly important that I know that nobody else is talking about that you need to hear. It's going to resonate with you deeply with the journey that you're on. So stick around to the end to catch that. So... I hope you enjoy this episode and let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? In 2022, it's my mission to coach 300 people to get control of their emotional eating so they can lose weight and actually keep it off without counting calories or eating rabbit food. Now, on today's part two episode, we're talking about whether or not women should be intermittent fasting. We did part one of this little series we've got going on here a few episodes back on Ep number 148. So after you check this one out, uh, I would suggest going back and checking that one out or maybe even start with that one and then come to this one because this is very much a continuation of the information from that episode, which went gangbusters, by the way. We love an episode that goes gangbusters over here. (laughs) On that first one, I talked a little bit about the benefits too. So I've done a heap of episodes on fasting and I'll actually put all of the episode numbers of our intermittent fasting episodes in the show notes below. But episode 148 and this one, episode 170, are specific to women. It doesn't mean that those other episodes aren't inclusive of women, but these ones are super specific. Uh, And in particularly in today's episode, we're going to be talking about female hormones and the menstrual cycle. So that's super specific because I haven't met a man that... uh, has a cycle. And no, we're not going to get into the trans conversation. (laughs) Ladies, quite simply, you're not little men. So we have to do things a little bit differently because your hormonal flux is, well, monstrously different to men. Um, So I want to go a little bit deeper about why you as a woman need to do this a bit differently uh, and share it in a way that makes sense. So you know what you can do. So uh, the first thing to remember too, is that generally speaking, intermittent fasting is a pattern of eating not a diet. And we all do this every single day, right? We all intermittent fast, whether we are tracking it or not tracking it, whether we are trying to achieve a particular pattern or not trying to achieve a particular pattern. Unless you eat 24 hours a day, you are in an in- some type of intermittent fasting cycle, protocol, schedule, ratio, whatever you want to call it. And I think it's a better way to look at it uh, rather than thinking of it as a diet, given that technically it doesn't describe a food routine. Uh, but as well, the word diet, like, oh, Does anybody else feel triggered when they hear that word? Like, oh, they think restriction, deprivation, hard work, willpower. Like the word just sucks for loads of reasons. 
Um, another little myth that I've been hearing a little bit la- lately for people that are um, inquiring about coming into my program is the um, idea that we, you know, we need to eat all day or multiple times a day to keep our metabolism up or when you stop eating, doesn't that shut down my metabolism? And the answer is no. Or everyone that ever fasted would never lose a single pound or kilogram from their body. And also, you'd literally have no energy at all if if the moment you stopped shoveling fuel in your metabolism just switched off. You just It'd just be like eating or napping, <laughs> which might be some people's goal in life because, you know, maybe that sounds cool. <laughs> I want to eat and perpetually nap and then eat again and then nap all day. So you don't want to be in that situation, right? And that's intermittent fasting uh, allows space for you to feel energetic and recover and feel amazing. It doesn't mean that your metabolism shuts down and switches off. If you, yeah, your cells wouldn't function. It's that simple. Um, and the important thing to remember is that it was a really successful marketing campaign, the 80s, the 90s, the early 2000s, uh, about the metabolism thing and the idea to pr- promote consumer behavior towards buying more snacks because previously it was like the three meals a, a day type idea, right? And so if you're a big food company uh, and you, you know, there's this new amazing science and information and research studies that says we need to eat to keep our, we need to eat more to keep our metabolism up. Of course, you're getting on that marketing bandwagon, right? Think about it from an economic perspective. Imagine you and everyone you've ever met went from shopping uh, for three meals a day for a family of say three, four, five, six, however many, and so they bought enough food for the week for three meals a day for that many people, and then they transitioned to purchasing three snacks for each one of those people each day as well as all of the food for the meals, right? You see the dollar incentive there for the big food companies? A huge jump in food spending, convincing everyone to add snacks in. Not only that, when you're eating high sugar and high refined carbohydrates, this marketing message actually feels pretty accurate. When you check in with your body, you're like, yeah, I do need more snacks. I do need to eat more because I'm hungry. And that's simply because the hunger signals that you produce eating such a nutrient-depleted diet on high-sugar, high-carb diets actually matches that marketing message. So it makes people like this. It's a genius situation, right? Feed them terribly. They'll be hungry more often. And then we'll tell them that they need to eat more often to be healthy. It's like <laughs> it's this genius, like never-ending circle of back and forth and back and forth. I eat because I'm hungry and I'm hungry because I eat, right? So the problem isn't the absence of snacks, just like cancer isn't the absence of chemotherapy. It is why am I hungry so often? Are you with me? That's the problem. So with the right food regime that works around your cycle, that manages hunger in the right way, that hunger will start to dissipate that you experience in between meals and eventually not even be a thing because you're eating nutrient-dense foods that work for your body and not against it, right? You got me? You got me? There's my big food lies rant for the day. (laughs) Love me one of those. Um, All right, so let's get into this intermittent fasting and women thing. Um, And at the very end, I'm going to tell you something that I really haven't heard anybody else talk about in regards to the way that we engage with intermittent fasting. So stick with me to the end because there's an important piece that I think needs to be said in all of these types of conversations that no one else is saying. So go me for being original. (laughs) All right, we're going to talk about hormones. We're going to talk about hormones and why this is a little different for men and women. So we're going to start with women being a little more uh, sensitive to hunger signals. So there's a hormone that you've probably never heard of called kisspeptin. 
So it um, it is released in abundance in women, and it's it released for in men in much lower amounts. And so there, it, it's connected to the hormone cascade that is produced in your body. And hormones, there's there's a ton of hormones. Many of the ones that we hear about often are just the tip of the iceberg. There are heaps of different hormones within the body. And so what happens is the hypothalamus releases kisspeptin, uh, which is the master hormone. And this is the precursor to gonadotropin-releasing hormone, which goes to the pituitary gland and releases luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone. These are two hormones that play significant parts in the menstrual cycle, right? Um, And so what this cascade produces eventually is it triggers ovulation. So therefore, it triggers the production of progesterone and estrogen in women. And for men, it it, uh, produces testosterone. So it triggers an increase in testosterone. Now, women have much more kisspeptin than men, meaning when kisspeptin goes down, the hormone production cascade reduces... And that means that we're in a situation where if kispeptin, the first guy in the line of these hormones, goes down, everything below that has been reduced. And because women are much more sensitive to hunger signals, and why might that be? Because you have to grow humans. Whether you're trying to grow a human or not, your body is like perpetually preparing you to produce a human. So you actually have to live and eat every month of your menstrual cycle as if you're going to prepare your body to conceive a healthy child. Because whether you do the child bit or not, whether you even have sex or not, doesn't matter. You have to nurture your body and your cycle in the way that it was designed to do so because any deficiency in that process, you will pay a cost for for doing that, right? And because women are so much more sensitive to hunger signals because you have a system that then needs to support human life, that's why the body senses a reduction in these hunger hormones or senses a reduction in kispeptin and is negatively affected by these this this fasting or whatever stresses in your life or whatever's going on, right? So, so when you reduce your food too rapidly or your intermittent fasting schedule, you go too hard, your brain says, whoa, there's less food in the environment. There's something going on. There's been a dramatic shift. So let's lower kispeptin so that we can lower the hormones that go out that trigger ovulation because we want to make uh, conception less likely so that we don't put uh, a ch- a, we don't try and grow a child that will be unfit for life that will be born with genetic issues that will be be born ill will be miscarried whatever it might be so it's your body protecting you right so the reduction in these hormones is your body protecting you from having um, a, a, a burdensome pregnancy or um, an unfortunate birth right uh, so the body's doing what it's meant to do so, but this is the reason women have more kispeptin because it needs to detect the changes in the, the environment at a much more rapid and specific way so that it can make decisions really quickly and downregulate all of the things that it needs to do um, so this is one of the reasons that women should do intermittent fasting differently because you are more sensitive to hunger signals and to the reduction in hormones if we are focused on you know Fasting more, you know, going harder means, you know, longer fast, which means more weight loss. 
If we're just focused on that variable, then yeah, you might lose kilos. It's highly likely you'll lose kilos or pounds for sure. But in the process, you'll ruin your uh, hormones. You'll ruin your hormone profile. You'll set in place. And this is what yo-yo diet culture has done for many women. So many women, and this might be you, might be in a situation where you are yo-yo dieting. You've tried heaps of things, lots of starvation diets, lots of 1,200 calorie, lots of not enough food and nutrition in the body. And so after decades of that experience... You have, and this is this is where I talk about genetic predictability, um, is that you have conditioned your hormones, your kisspeptin cascade, to release low amounts of kisspeptin. Therefore, you're perpetually telling your body that we are in a hunger or starvation state or low nutrient environment. So we'll go down the cascade. So kisspeptin is down, which is a you know sensitivity to the hunger signals, uh, which then means gonadotropin releasing hormone goes down. Uh, and then the reduction of luteinizing hormone and fol- follicle stim- stimulating hormone goes down, which both fac- facilitate uh, ovulation and a healthy 28-day approximate cycle. Which And that normally triggers your ovulation. And if ovulation is not triggered in a strong way or at all, one, you might lose your cycle entirely or barely bleed at all that month. Um, and it, because that is meant to trigger progesterone and estrogen, guess what? They both go down as well, right? So you're in a situation where starvation diets or intermittent fasting too intensely radically reduces these hormones. And so, again, you might lose weight, but you're going to have all sorts of other hormone-related problems. Um, And and this is is a major reason in the intermittent fasting program that I have. And by the way, there's an m.me link down in the show notes below if you want to inquire about the program, um, which includes emotional eating and includes intermittent fasting and uh, healthy nutrient-dense foods. If you want help, support, and accountability navigating this process because you this is starting to resonate with you as to how many of the things you've tried have gone wrong, then please scroll down to the show notes below. Click the m.me link, which is a conversation directly with me, and send me the word program. Send that to me and we will have a chat, have a conversation, and see if you are a good fit for the program or not and get you started as soon as possible. So, the reason that this is uh, this has been a problem for so long is that, yeah, we've lowered the predictability of the nutrition in the environment, your hormones, your body is freaking out that it's not going to get enough nutrition and therefore it goes into shutdown. And this is what can happen uh, in extreme fat loss situations when women lose their cycle. They have amenorrhea. It's a, it's a genuine symptom of extreme fat loss. Um, and even some of those women that you see on Instagram and you see in magazines back in the day and on TV that maybe they've got abs, maybe they're really lean uh, and and you might think you might think logically with your logical brain and your marketing brain like oh that woman looks so good i wish i could look like that but there's a point where women reduce the, their amount of nutritional intake and they therefore they reduce their body fat to a specific point that they lose their cycle again because the it's not about the nutrition in their environment it's about the stored nutrition on their body so for many women, they can mess up their hormones by going under. And it's very broad because this is genetics and your racial heritage, your racial genetics based on the composition that you might have, whether you're um, you know, an Africa, a tall, lean African woman versus you, whether you're a curvaceous African-American woman or versus whether you're uh, you know, you raised as a, a tall, lean, blonde woman in 
the Nordic region of the world, right? Like everybody's background and history is different. Um, Aboriginal Australians are different. South American women are different. So remember, this is a broad spectrum when I say this, so do not get attached to these numbers. But for some women, um, and this is all over the globe, it's different. For some women, getting below 20% body fat can become hormonally dangerous. Um, And I know many women that have come through my program that lost their cycle 10 or 15 years ago um, for a period of time because they went on a a crazy starvation diet and they lost their cycle. They might have hit their weight loss goal and found their abs and and whatever, but they actually feel like shit. And I know uh, a bunch of people that I've worked with that have been ex-athletes or ex-stage performers, basically. You know, they've been those types of people that get spray tan and get in their bikinis and get up there and flex and all of those goals and and successes are amazingly impressive Uh, but if they come at significant damage to your hormones that's not good at all Um, I'm literally working now with people that have damaged themselves from that era of their life so if you're young and listening to this one put the old head on your your young shoulders (laughs) and if you've had that history of yo-yo dieting lowering your hormones like this then Jump into the program, jump into the Facebook group, join us uh, so that you can begin this progress forward to be able to fix this problem. And it's not something that that fixes overnight. If you've been having this problem for months and months and months, do not respond to the marketing that you will just, you know, we can fix it in six weeks or 28 days, we'll sort yourself out. Like this is going to take a bit of time and it's about your commitment to leveling up over time. So, Yes, intermittent fasting is great for women, but this is a reason for the one tweak a week methodology. We have to move smoothly. We have to nurture. We have to make sure the nutrition going in is healthy and abundant so that we can support your hormones to make sure that we don't trigger any of those um, hunger sensitivities or starvation situations inside your body, which usually for most people your body is really familiar with that stuff because of the yo-yo dieting, because of the extreme calorie restriction for a very long time. All right, so I hope that makes sense. I hope that's like we're getting into some hormones you've probably never heard of and some different things. The other thing, speaking of hormones, to talk about is stress hormones. So in the same way that you are, as a woman, sensitive to... uh, hormonal changes and stresses in your environment it's the same with your stress so we're talking you know your cortisol your adrenaline and that type of thing and there's a bit of a hormone hierarchy right so we can start at the top with oxytocin oxytocin is produced it's like the love hormone Um, and i actually did a podcast episode talking about happy hormones uh because well 2021 was bloody miserable let's let's be totally honest um so episode 146 how to hack your happy hormones is an episode i did i talk a little bit about oxytocin oxytocin in in there so oxytocin it starts with oxytocin then we go down to cortisol cortisol is the the most famous uh stress hormone it's got a bad street rep (laughs) because we always beat up on having too much cortisol and then we go down to insulin and then we go down to our sex hormones estrogen progesterone and testosterone and so there's the reason that i'm sharing this hierarchy with you is because if you are stressed and also nutrient deficient because you're intermittent fasting in the wrong way by starving yourself, not putting in all the, all the nutrition that you need, your body will not prioritize estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, normal female cyclical hormones. It will prioritize building cortisol because your survival is more important than preparing the body to produce another baby, right? So, If we're in these stressed lives, whether it be complex relationships, whether it be jobs we hate, whether it be financial stress, whether it be the day-to-day of simply dragging your ass through life, (laughs) 
<laughs> and if you feel like that, come and hang out with me. Like, I will definitely change your world in regards to your perspective on how you choose to live life and, and the stories that you attach to it. But the point is that that stuff also doesn't change overnight. And right now, you might be in a stressful situation that needs some strategy to change, some long-term strategy to change. Um, and so, the point is, if life is stressful, even though you might have a monthly cycle, it might not be happening in a healthy way. Like, your, your bleed might not be a proper bleed. There might be lots of spotting. Or it might go the other way. You might have super heavy bleeds, which lead to all sorts of uh, deficiencies, particularly with iron and magnesium. And so, your body is going to prioritize always cortisol. It's going to always prioritize the hormones that get you away from danger. Think about it like this. If you think about us back, you know, before commercialization and before the Western world existed in this really safe world that we live in now, that if you were out in the wild in the tribe or even even just a couple of hundred years ago, you know, like it was pretty easy to be killed from all sorts of things. And so you're out in the wild and you're in this situation where it's like, oh, there's a bear at my door or, oh, I just came across, you know, a lion in the wilderness, whatever it might be. Every day of the week, you are going to run away from death, right? You're going to run away to survive and to live and to be safe. No matter what day it is, no matter your health status, no matter what happens, if your stress hormones are triggered, because that pertains to your physical safety. You'll always prioritize that. However, you're not producing a baby and you're not having sex every day of the week. And so your body will default to stress hormones every time. It will sacrifice sexual appetite, sexual stimulation, uh, the creation uh, of, a, of a baby, the ovulation period. It will sacrifice that because it's like, we're not doing that every day. And the most important thing for me to be able to actually have sex and procreate is to be alive. <laughs> so back in the day, we obviously evolved in a way that produced cortisol and adrenaline and the stress hormones so that we can prioritize living before we focus on creating another life that will live. So... For this reason, we've got this situation where in our normal daily lives, we're always triggering these survival fears. Even though logically we know that getting an email from our boss who's an asshole or speaks to us in a derogatory way is not, we, we know that that's not going to kill us, but our stress hormones are still on that ancient system that we, that we created a very long time ago in our reptilian brain, which is this type of fear response means a, a possibility of death. So it's important that we get this stuff right by managing stress. And again, this comes back to you as a woman being more sensitive to your stress, um, which in the modern world as a mother is so overwhelming. We've got all of these stories and people that are putting more and more pressure on you and the more technology and the more internet that your kids get involved with. And like it feels like we're just behind everyone. We're behind the eight ball on everything. And so I think it comes with, with changing the stories that you have for yourself as a mother and the stories within your family of what being a mother means. Um, and this, again, it's not an overnight thing to be able to change this. Like self-care is not selfish. A lot of mums, and maybe you too, put yourself last. But as you may have heard me say before, putting yourself last means that you're teaching your adults how to look after themselves as adults. Right, So, yeah, you might be able to control what they eat and how they behave up until about 18, 21, 25 maybe. But as soon as they get into the world themselves, they will unconsciously look after themselves the same way that the adults in their environment did when they grew up. And that's you. So, if you're not self-caring, you're unfortunately developing a subconscious belief in your children that they should not look after themselves. They should not manage their own health. Health should not be a priority. They will be unaware of that until a time that they reach 
when they are listening to a podcast just like this because their pain, their stress, their hormones, their life has been you know problematic for some time and now they're looking for answers. So we don't want to set our kids up for that kind of world, right? So we need to start changing the stories around stress. And on that too, uh, for women, women are more sensitive to coffee and particularly caffeine. So um, during intermittent fasting, because intermittent fasting is another stress, it's a healthy stress as long as you do it one tweak a week supported by nutrient-dense foods, uh, then we're in a situation where adding more coffee to the system means that we're going to have more stress. So uh, the more caffeine we have in the system, it decreases the likelihood of the egg to drop through the fallopian tubes or that drop to be a successful transition. So we also want to make sure that we are not living on coffee, you know, multiple coffees a day type thing. Um, And for many people, we also want to reduce the dairy that's going into that, that coffee as well. But this all comes back to the stress, right? Women being more sensitive to stress. So should intermittent fasting be a tool in your journey, which I think it should be in everybody's journey. Uh, Again, irrelevant of how you do the process, whether it be removing snacks, whether it be uh, pushing breakfast out, whether it be moving dinner forward, uh, whatever it looks like for you, whether whether it be introducing low carbohydrate strategy in order to get a healthy weight, which is what we do in the program as well. Um, Whatever it is for you, reducing this stress is important. Now, this is important for men, of course, but we have the good fortune of being able to reset our system, recalibrate our system on a daily basis. So we're far far less likely to be affected in the same way. However, men with big beer bellies, uh, especially the rock-solid type, are suffering the exact same fate. So, uh, you know... Stress is big for all of us. And I would argue too that heart issues for men and women, but heart issues are really big when it comes to stress and men and heart attacks and that strokes and that kind of thing. Because men don't let their feelings out or they don't cry or they don't talk about shit, you know? <laughs> so anyway, back on women. So that's stress. Um, the other thing to remember, speaking of stress, is that day 21 to 28 of your cycle, so this is the week before bleed week, um, if you are doing low-carbohydrate diet, this is the week that you will want to add in a healthy degree of carbohydrate foods. And when I say that, I don't need bread and uh, you know croissants and chocolate, that kind of thing, even though this, this is the week that chocolate cravings come, the carbohydrate cravings come. And you might be in a situation where you have been on a diet and that's the week things fall apart and you start beating yourself up, you start feeling shit about yourself and you're just like, oh, I suck at this, I'm such a failure, I don't have enough willpower. The reason that this month things go up in regards to your carbohydrate requirements and your cravings is because you are growing your endometrial lining to get ready to have a child, right? Um, So everything's growing. You're growing, essentially growing an organ. So your nutritional requirements go up. And so in this week, uh, what I would recommend is that you move towards more carbohydrates in your diet. And if you are on a ketogenic diet or or a low carbohydrate diet, which is the strategy that I employ within my program, as long as you know how to do it, uh, Googling it is probably not the best strategy. Um, but this is the week that we want to move out of ketosis uh, and maybe not totally out of it, but we really want to get those carbohydrate, nutrient-dense foods in so that we don't throw off your period by calorie restricting or nut- nutrient restriction during a week where your body is essentially growing an organ. We absolutely want to support that. Now, when I say that, are you like, Maddie? does this mean I can just have the chocolate? <laughs> 
So the likelihood of you eating chocolate or binge eating anything in this week will be dramatically reduced by supplying the body in this week with nutrient-dense foods um, and nutrient-dense carbohydrates. However, you need to identify which of those foods are also trigger foods. For some people, sweet potato is one of those triggers. It's like when I have sweet potato, uh, it triggers me to want chocolate and all the other things. I'm not saying say no to the chocolate and you'll notice that in my program, I do not tell anybody that they can't have anything. There's, uh, there's no list of foods that you cannot have. This is about you deciding what is right for you and you being in the driver's seat and back in control. I'm not here to be anybody's parent. Um, if you're sick of being told what to do by a personal trainer or your doctor or being spoken down to or being judged, then my program is the place for you because that's the total opposite of the approach that we take. So if the chocolate is the thing that you want that week, then yeah, I would say go for it. Enjoy it. Make sure you have a healthy system and strategy and boundary around it so that you can navigate the space in a healthy way and not come out feeling like you've self-sabotaged, like you failed or anything like that. And the other thing is too, if we go um, extremely low carb for too long uh, and we're not getting nutrient-dense foods in, we can start to lose hair or your, your hair can start to thin um, and it can throw off your periods altogether. You can start your cycle timing can change and, and end up in different places which you might not like because that's not good. We want to be on a routine, right? Um, and more fasting and more ketosis can, in, in this particular week can lead to lower estrogen and lower progesterone. So even more carb cravings. If you're starting to be low in those hormones, and you might think um, as well in regards to the, the stuff we've talked about before now, is that you crave carbohydrates and sugar and chocolate a lot. And this can because be because uh, what's happened is that you've had low estrogen and progesterone for so long because of the yo-yo dieting and the starvation diets and the, the back and forth so much that the kispeptin's lowered and then you go down the cascade and then you've got low estrogen and progesterone already and then that triggers carbohydrate cravings because your body is trying desperately to get all of the resources to rebuild everything. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't get those from proteins and fats. There's plenty of nutrient and healthy foods there. But we, our body naturally goes towards carbohydrates because they're fast energy. They're fast nutrition, right? Which sounds good. It sounds amazing. And yeah, it is if you're an athlete. But if you're not an athlete that needs to fix things in the next two hours, then we can actually work you know, better with more digestible, more long-term satiating foods whilst also introducing in this week, day 21 to 28, a really good amount of carbohydrate foods. And remember, again, I'm not talking about sugars. I'm not talking about uh, refined carbs. I'm not talking about toast in the morning or croissants or you know that type of thing. We're talking about whole real food, jerf. Just eat real food, food vegetables. Um, and the same rules, rules apply... Uh, you know, from day 20, 21 onwards, we want to support those hormones. So we want hormone building foods. And for the most part, they come in the way of vegetables. So that's what we want. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you'll receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. 
I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Uh, So next, I want to talk about the pre or perimenopause phase in context of intermittent fasting. So we're talking loosely the age of 40 to 55. Um, And remember, don't get attached to any of the numbers that I ever share on a podcast ever because you are an individual. And whilst that might uh, show the ballpark for you, and it may actually be perfect for you, you need to go on an experimental and explorative journey to understand what your biology does for you and how it works and engages in the world that and the context of your life, the world that you live in, which is different to the world I live in and different to the, the world that your friends live in and that kind of thing. So when we're in a situation where we're preparing for perimenopause, uh, what actually happens is that we hand over the creation of our sex hormones to the adrenal glands and to body fat. So you may not have heard this, but we are meant to gain weight as we move towards menopause as women. It's funny that I say we. Like, I'm coming towards menopause as well. <laughs> maybe I am. I work with so many women that maybe I am. <laughs> um, but we hand over this. So as our uh, reproductive system starts to decline in its production of these hormones, and because we're in the modern world, it's already started declining, not just because of our age and our natural life cycle, but because of loads of toxic food, loads of shit in our water, loads of shit in the air that we breathe in cities uh, and, and the homes that we live in and the products that we use and the skin care that you use and the makeup you use and all of these toxins these hormones have already started going down. Like 40 to 55 is like the general space for where things should be reducing uh, naturally, but add in our toxic modern world and all of the crap we've been putting in through different foods and powders and protein powders and medications and different things, our sex hormones are going down. And so it gets to a point where they start to reduce function in the reproductive system and our adrenal glands and body fat take over so there is actually a healthy amount of weight gain that happens and again what is a healthy amount of weight gain that's a very arbitrary statement it will be a couple of kilos for some people or a couple of pounds for some people it will be a couple more for other people right um so your your fat actually has a hormonal function and it takes over the job of your reproductive system so there is actually a little bit of weight gain not a heap but a little bit that is healthy and normal as you go into perimenopause and then into menopause, right? Because if you if you also reduce function of your hormone production from your reproductive system and everything that happens there, and you also really go hard on weight loss, you're going to end up in a similar situation, hormonal dysfunction, right? Because you're, you're messing with the organs that produce this. That doesn't mean that there can't be healthy maintenance of your body weight and weight loss happening in this phase because there's many people that get to that period of their life or get to this time in their life of 40 to 55 where you've been unfortunate in your journey, stressed, busy, not being able to prioritize yourself, whatever it is. And each year that the weight has just kind of crept up a kilo this year, a couple of pounds next year, just going up. And we're at a situation where it's like, whoa, it's clearly this amount of weight is not just helping my hormones, right? So we can definitely make healthy transitions down the ladder. There is a little caveat in regards to intermittent fasting that I will say here. If you can't get your sleep dialed in, 
don't start doing any extreme fasting or intermittent fasting or, or not eating, right? Because adding that is a stress, a healthy stress done correctly, but sleep is the most important variable of your health altogether. Now, there's a bit of a kind of a conundrum here because if you're not eating correctly through the day and if you're eating too many times and not the right food, then you won't be able to get your sleep dialed in. So there's a symbiotic relationship here with great sleep and healthy nutrition intake throughout the day. But the important bit to register here is that sleep is the most important thing and that your body uh, actually is working in your favor when it adds a few kilos of fat in that phase. The other thing to mention too is that uh, we've got to nurture the adrenal glands and that again comes back to nutrient-dense food and lowering stress in your life. Not stressing less, becoming more resilient, learning how to navigate stress, learning how to let go, learning how to rewrite the stories of what you believe things are in your world and what they mean to you. Right, And that might sound a bit like, oh, easy for you to say, Maddie. And um, We literally did this on the Ultimate Energy Upgrade group call last night. Uh, you know, the, the, the group of women going through this program that I run at the moment is the stories that we attach to things. And in the beginning, that's a, that can be a really triggering thing to hear. But w- when we realize that we have an idea about what's happening and that idea is different to everybody else's idea of what's happening, we start to realize that, oh, that's just a version that I am projecting onto this situation. So you've got to rewrite these stories so that we can navigate this stress, so that we can start to lose the healthy body weight, so we can get control of your emotional eating, so we can put you back in the driver's seat of your life. Because when we attach, uh, if, if we let things outside of ourselves be able to control our emotional state, we are at the will of whichever story they choose to write for us. And that sucks. Nobody wants to be a victim for their whole life. So the important thing here is remember, Stress, all goes back to stress. Your adrenal glands need support because they are usually, you know, you might have heard of adrenal fatigue. This is usually a response to massive amounts of stress for a very long time. And if you've got low energy levels all of the time, you feel fatigued all of the time, you might be adrenally fatigued because you've been running your body ragged from every angle, from nutritional starvation to emotional stress with relationships to not sleeping enough and your adrenal glands are just fucked basically. (laughs) (laughs) to be blunt. Um, And so we need to eat in this phase of of that perimenopause period. (laughs) I I really need to be careful when I use the word period in this conversation because it gets confusing. So in that perimenopause time, um, we need to support the adrenal glands to recover at the same time as getting the body healthy. Again, understanding how to intermittent fast and understanding the low-carb, nutrient-dense foods with the supportive nutrition, um, carb-rich nutrition that comes in at the right, right times of the cycle, we can start to restore this balance, okay? So it's really important. And a good way to start is to track your cycle. So just to know when that week before is. Like use an app. There's apps everywhere. You might not have um, you know used used one before, but I would recommend it. The other thing is to, um, is that, if you're you've got the marina or if you've got the pill in uh, the pill in if you've got the marina in or you're taking the pill or any of these other types of contraceptives that are hormonal essentially hormonal replacements um, that that will mess with things in an unfavorable way now I'm not judging HRT uh, because I think that can be used really well when done correctly I'm not an expert in that field however what I do know is that um, many of the women that I work with having been on the pill for a very long time have um, or, or any type of hormonal 
replacement or contraception or anything like that really have messed their bodies up in big ways. Um, and the pill, you've, there's been a number of episodes on here that I have done, which is episode 20 and episode 143 that goes into detail about how these types of uh, contraceptives interrupt your cycle um, and can cause hormonal problems and that actually when you're on the pill and you just choose to not have a cycle, that Western medicine promotes this idea, but actually it's not good for you at all. <laughs> and when you have a bleed on the pill, it's actually not a real period. It's, a, it's known as a pill bleed. So the body is not actually working in the right way that it should. So it's, it's important to notice um, and identify that these things from the past can make this journey a little more challenging. However... It's uh, it, now we know. Now we're talking about it. We can actually make these changes. Um, and the other thing is that there's been some studies uh, in regards to cycle ir- irregularity and finding that introducing intermittent fasting in a healthy way can improve up to 73% of people's cycle irregularity, improving the cycle uh, because it allows the insulin to decrease. And we talk about insulin and blood sugar a lot um, when it comes to losing weight and pre- being pre-diabetic and insulin resistant. Um, and, and in this conversation with women's hormones, PCOS. PCOS is uh, extremely common now. Uh, and you may have heard PCOS referred to as diabetes of the ovaries or insulin resistance of the ovaries. So it's no surprise that there's a positive impact on PCOS and on cycle cycles returning to a more regular um, flow throughout the year, throughout each month and the year, uh, when we introduce a lower carbohydrate, so less insulin producing diet and a healthy intermittent fasting schedule, which, which allows it to drop down. So the cycle should improve. If it goes in the other direction, then there's something wrong with the nutrition or you've dove in the deep end too quickly uh, and there's too much stress going on. So you see how there's, it's all holistic. We need to look for the stress and the food and, and the medications and, and our history. And like, this is why your journey is your journey. Um, and, and the other thing that the pill does is, you know, the loss of estrogen is, is caused as a result of taking the pill means that in your younger years, the times that you were um, taking the pill and reducing your estrogen to make sure that you don't have a baby, uh, every, every cycle that you've done that, there's been a drop. Estrogen's a growth hormone, right? And it actually reduces your capacity to build bone. Uh, and now if we look later in life, it's particularly white Western women, are highly likely and much more likely than men to develop osteoporosis later in their life, right? And the, the, what they, the conventional system educates people to do here is just to drink more milk. Um, but I can guarantee you, I know plenty of people that that has not worked for. <laughs> and this, the fact the statistics are still so high on predicting um, osteoporosis happening and these tiny fractures and the weakening of bones later in life is evidence enough that obviously the last however many decades, half a century to a century's worth of drinking more milk to get more calcium doesn't really work. And so this is one thing to consider if you're on the pill. Um, and there are other ways to do contraception. Yes, it takes a little bit more of emotional maturity. Um, and so, yeah, you got to practice that. But If we start to remove the pill, we can start improving the estrogen over time um, and we can start improving bone building because we don't want to go into perimenopause and menopause with poor bone health because the likelihood that we won't recover those bones uh, based on population data is very likely and then lead to osteoporosis and these types of things. So, so the question is then, how do you build your bones? So we want to start getting that estrogen back up. So take the, the pill out, um, essentially. Obviously, follow the guidance of your doctor. Medical disclaimer, even though you'll find a doc- you'll be hard-pressed to find a doctor that thinks this is, this is a good idea at all um, because, well, the pill is the most widely consumed drug 
for women. Um, and it makes the system a lot of money. Um, there you go. Honest. Hashtag honest. <laughs> but the point is, uh, the other way to build uh, more bone is and to get your bone density up, which should be a focus of any woman that is in perimenopause or menopause or postmenopause, is weight training. And I don't mean picking up the one or two kilogram weights that you can kind of literally throw around and you know jog with and that type of thing. You want to put your arms and your muscles under stress. Healthy stress, hormetic stress, don't do yourself an injury, but you want to you want to be a little bit sore the next day, right? You want to and, and this is not about smashing your body because we again we don't want to have too much stress and I've worked with women that are, you know, in the gym every single day and we've made positive progress by in inserting some rest days and recovery days. The point is though that we can increase bone density by putting pressure on our bones. Lifting heavy weight, um, whether it be compound movements, whether it be small you know, movements that are just isolate muscles, whatever it is, starting to add a weight training is going to help build your bones and reduce your likelihood of osteoporosis later on because you because there's there's a relationship in the body but with the calcium that flows in or out of the bones so calcium is the most abundant mineral in the body and the bones release calcium into the blood so calcium runs all of the muscles in your body right um, and it, uh, it gets it from the bones and so the bones release calcium into the blood and when the blood's high in calcium or too high in calcium, then the blood pushes it back into the bones. However, as we move forward through life, if we don't have our calcium and magnesium balance correct, and most people I think are magnesium deficient for reasons of nutrition and stress, then what happens is the calcium continually flows out of the bones. And most people aren't weight training uh, multiple times a week. So the demand for the calcium is in the blood because people aren't eating correctly. So they're not getting enough of it and they're not intaking enough magnesium. So there's not the appropriate balance between the two minerals that needs to exist in order to have a healthy amount of calcium. And so we just have over years, just the calcium flowing out, flowing out, flowing out of the bones, out of the bones until the bones start to become brittle and thinned and not strong and not dense. And then we're all of a sudden in a situation where bam, breaks, hip breaks, bone breaks, fractures, you know, weak arms, weak body, and then it's just downhill from there. A priority of getting old should be absolutely muscle, lean muscle mass. It's, you know, if you go to the episode that I did with um, Gabrielle Lyon, we talked about how muscle mass is the organ of longevity. So you want more muscle mass and you want more muscle density. Um, all right, so we're almost finished here. Um, the other thing is too, women over 50 uh, can reduce the amount of belly fat and metabolic syndrome, muscle and joint health with health, doing intermittent fasting in a healthy way, especially if you're in menopause, you're post-menopause, you're in, in a more stable hormonal environment. So you can actually move towards uh, a lot of the intermittent fasting type things that men do, um, which is not saying that you are a man. You're, you've still got the history of being a woman. You've still got the history of yo-yo dieting. You've still got the history of your individual life. Um, but the point is that some of the more uh, conventional protocols are now, now going to be more appropriate because the reason they work so effectively for men is because of the consistency and stability of their hormones. So once you're menopause and post-menopause, you will have a similar type of consistency for, for many people. Definitely different to when you were in a normal monthly cycle. So you can start to move towards that way. However, you still need to be gentle because you've still got that history of stress. You still need to be nutrient dense. You still need to have periods of time where prioritizing healthy hormone building carbohydrates are going to be really important. 
And doing this the right way means that your mood and self-esteem will increase and you'll actually decrease your anxiety and depressive type symptoms. Now, I want to finish up by talking about the bit that I think nobody else is talking about. Um, And that is emotional eating, binge eating and disordered eating and the relationship with yourself. So no matter what the diet is, um, they, you know, like a lot of the people that speak on women and intermittent fasting say that they, women should only fast every other day, every second day. Now, Metabolically speaking, and from a strictly science uh, perspective, this may be true. This may be accurate. However, what every YouTuber basically and every textbook and all of the things neglect is emotional eating. The fact that we are emotional beings and that we navigate our lives in ways that mean we have feelings and we self-sabotage and we go down the rabbit hole and we judge ourselves and we feel like a failure and we feel rejected and we have problems in our life. And so... I am of the belief that in order to avoid falling off the bandwagon or going your entire life through a cycle of feeling healthy and empowered, feeling like a defeated, you know, fat, ugly person, feeling sexy and confident or getting to an age where you're like, I'll never feel good about myself ever again. I'm not worth it. You know, this, we, 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 we need to nurture consistent, healthy behavior. And so I think that yo-yoing day in and day out with intermittent fasting again, might be good for your hormones, but I actually think it's really bad for your emotions. And I think it's really bad if you're not totally emotionally mature and healthy, which unfortunately, newsflash, not many of us are. (laughs) Um, So it also can trigger disordered eating. It can also actually be disordered eating, changing your eating window every single day. And this is why through the program that I have created, I prioritize emotional eating and binge eating for the first few weeks. We go deep on this. It's difficult, emotional, confronting work. But if you do not fix this, you will be like no intermittent fasting protocol will ever help if you don't fix this. And not everybody has these emotional eating, binge eating or disordered eating or sugar craving challenges. Most people actually do. Not everyone. Um, and some people have been on this journey in different ways and found where, you know, what they needed to find in order to get there. And that might be a diagnosis. That might be some kind of really confronting thing. Your partner died or, or whatever it might be. You might have a situation that really woke you up to emotional and, and identity upgrade. So the way that I try and do things is uh, it's all about flow, right? Uh, and that's an ironic word to use given we're talking about women's hormones and menstrual cycles, but it's about the flow through the month. And what I mean by that is that we slowly move towards the way that we transition in and out of the different types of uh, priorities that our hormones have throughout each week. I think changing every day is too difficult, particularly for busy mums that are all over the place already. And particularly for our body, our genetics and our hormones that have got a massively long history of shit being all over the place, right? That's the problem. That's why you're likely listening to this podcast is because things have been all over the place. Tried this, tried that. This didn't work. This did work for a while, but I really couldn't do it long term. This, this, I looked really good at this period in my life, but I was actually miserable and didn't have a period. Or, you know, whatever it is. People are usually here because the past was disordered and all over the place. So... I think that you can't successfully do intermittent fasting, low carb, anything like that without navigating the emotional eating, binge eating, disordered eating piece at the start. So if you have sugar cravings or you feel controlled by your food and you know 
what you need to do. If you listen to this podcast, almost everybody that signed up to my program has listened to almost all of my podcasts, which highlights that information is not the transformational variable, right? Otherwise, we'd all be sexy, we'd all be rich, we'd all be happy, and we'd never worried about anything because Google exists and we just read information and change. It is not the transformational variable. Emotions, identity, who you are as a human, the stories you attach to the experiences you have, this is the thing that needs to change. And that doesn't happen by just reading a few self-help books. The self-help books can actually be great, a great tool to open your world to possibilities, but going through with a group of people, with a guide, with someone that understands this space really well, and then the next thing you do is about the nutrition and the diet is the right way to go about it. And I would say the amount of people that I have had through my program that have signed up to my competitors' programs first and did the same process, they got the results and then they gained the weight back or they got the results and they absolutely hated how obsessed they had to be about numbers or the time that they wasted at every meal putting them into an app or whatever it might be. Now, I'm not saying that, again, those strategies don't work. I think they do work very well if we assume that every human is just like a car. It doesn't have a soul. It doesn't have a personality. It has no free thought or conscience. It's just uh, just a machine. And we can use that for athletes, use that really well. People that aren't attached to numbers in an emotional way can use that really well, like scales, like calories, all those conversations. But I am yet to have somebody that I've come across that doesn't have some kind of emotional challenge with going through that type of process, which is why we have to, before we intermittent fast, before nutrition, we have to understand how we show up in our world and how we want to show up tomorrow and and recognize why we've shown up the way we've shown up in the past. Because if we don't make these changes, every sign up, every program, every health, every health attempt, every fitness regime will inevitably fail. It will inevitably fall down. So you need to focus on upgrading yourself to someone with a new identity that embodies who you want to be, that, that empowers your children to want to be healthy when they're a little bit older too, to be the role model in your house, right? Because we don't want to perpetuate diet culture. We don't want to be stuck in this cycle of hating ourselves, of not feeling sexy, of not having the confidence to engage in sexual activity, whether you're at an age where it's like, I just got divorced and I want to get back in the game, but I feel like shit, or whether you're like, I want to reconnect with my partner and we've had space for too long and it, and it, it just feels foreign or feels lonely. And it all comes down to the fact that I don't feel good in my own body. There's so many reasons why figuring out this emotional sugar craving, binge eating piece is really important before we talk about nutrition. So, again, this is often something that is more likely to be important for women. However, as I mentioned throughout the episode, uh, that plenty of men are overweight for the same reason. They unconsciously eat. They eat their emotions. They uh, have sugar cravings. They they can't explain why they go to food all the time, and they just we put it down to like oh big, strong man, you know, men need energy. Um, and well, I just finished a four and a half day fast, so you know, myth busted. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So it's really important that we combine this, these two worlds together and that you, you shouldn't really go down the rabbit hole of nutrition and exercise and all of the science until you understand who you are and why you're doing what you're doing. So if that feels like a place that you would like to go, if you're sick of tracking, you're sick of eating shit food, if you're, not, if you're hungry all the time, controlled by sugar cravings, or you even are just totally aware that like I'm an emotional eater and I can't seem to get on top of it, 
I would encourage you to join our program, The Ultimate Energy Upgrade. So there's a, a link in the show notes down below. It's the m.me link. So if you jump down there, click that, that will put you in a conversation directly with me. And from there, just send me the word program, send it in big capital letters, program, and I will see that message and then I will start a conversation with you to see if you are a fit for the program. And if that's a yes, then we will get you started. Uh, And if that's a no, I will point you in the direction of somebody that would be more appropriate. Um, But I'm certain if you have resonated with this podcast, then my program will absolutely be the thing that that you need and that will take you to the next stage of your health journey without the baggage or self-sabotage or any of the crap that comes with all of that, you know, the last however many decades of yo-yo dieting or fad culture that you've been exposed to. We do nutrition and health differently here at Matty Lansdowne, (laughs) at the company of me. Um, All right, team, thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. So this is part two. Remember, go out, check out out part one and any any of the episodes that I mentioned uh, will be down in the show notes below, just as an easy reminder for you. Um, So you know where to find me. I'm... uh, in the Facebook group so you can jump in there and ask any questions that you might have. I've got one Facebook for busy mums. If you're a busy mum, you can jump in there. Um, We talk about all of the stuff you hear on these episodes, but if you're not a busy mum, we talk about lots of similar stuff in my intermittent fasting group. So you can jump into there, whether you're a man, a woman, uh, a child, uh, whatever you want to be, a grandma. Um, Oh, and by the way, the busy mums group, uh, some some women come through and say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a mum, but my kids are all grown up. Yes, you're still part of the team. So come in. You're a mum. If you're a mum at any point in your life, you're you are a part of the Busy Mums Collective. So come and join us. But more importantly, if you are ready to make change and dig into the emotional eating, followed by the healthy nutrition, the M.me link, go down to the show notes, click my name, click the link, send me a message, program, and let's get you started on the program. All right, team, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, take a screenshot, pop it into social media stories, uh, give me a tag, help spread the message of this episode and helping people get healthy, helping them become awake to the truth about health and nutrition and our healthcare system uh, and, you know, all of the stuff that I debunk and and unravel here on the show. Um, And thanks for being here. Thanks for contributing to help me grow the healthy friends family that we're trying to grow all all over the world. So if you can help me grow that by sharing this with a family member, a friend, uh, or anybody that's important to you that you want to be healthy, then I would love you for that. So thanks so much for being here and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.